Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. It's great to be with you. I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor here at Compass, and we've had so many great things going on around here. I'm super proud of these guys. We were, um, we were at a conference last week in Irvine in California, and uh, we were there for a couple days just kind of doing a bunch of stuff with church planting. And... Um, we got back, and really, these guys hardly had any time to, to rehearse or prepare, but I just, I, they, they've been going and going, and I just, I love what, how they led us into worship today. And then on Friday, from I think 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., there was the high school ministry all-nighter right here. Yeah, any of you guys, you guys over here, you survived? Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you guys, you guys had like 100 or something like that, over 100 plus students on this campus all night long, and a ton of new people, and it was just, it was an amazing thing. I, I just kind of stopped by for a few minutes and checked it out, but it really is something. And of course, you know, my, my daughter texts us at like four in the morning, they're like, oh, I'm tired, and like, you woke us up. Um, <laughs> You're not supposed to sleep with this thing. But anyway, but it was just a fantastic, so there's, I mean, there's just so many things happening right now at Compass, and I just want to let you know about that, because sometimes you come here and you wonder what happens during the week, and man, we're just, it's really cool. Today's sermon is called, Hagar is not your mama, and that should fire you up. That's why I love my job, because I get to come up with this stuff, and like, no one says I can't, you know? Um, I get to come up with Titus, my title, and I get to have it. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. We've been going through the book of Galatians in the New Testament towards the back of your Bible. And we are not going to be able to have time to go through the whole chapter today. So your connection group homework will have some questions that may not refer to, like not all of them will be about this particular passage because we didn't have time to go through everything. But you guys are pretty smart and you sit and you can talk through things and figure out whatever you got to figure out there. But just so you're aware of that, we're going to start with verse 21. And what I'm going to read you, you may not totally understand at first, and that's okay because when I read at first. I was like, huh? Um, But we're going to explain it afterwards. So I'm going to read it and then we'll go. He says this in chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, in order to understand our passage today, we're going to need to look at this guy, Abraham. We're going to need to look at his family. And I will tell you this, you may think your family is dysfunctional, but I promise you his is worse. Okay? So, he started out as somewhat of a rich kid, and which back in the day that meant having lots of flocks and herds of sheep and goats, and then having servants that would help you take care of them. And so he lived with his father and his mother and his brothers and sisters, who also had flocks and herds of sheep and goats and whatever else, and servants to help them as well. And so they were like this nomadic tribe that would kind of go from place to place, and they eventually settled in an area that is in present-day Turkey. 
And his life was pretty good. He married this beautiful woman named Sarah and all was going along fine until one day God shows up and says, listen, I want you to leave everything that you know your family, your, all of your friends, your, this whole inheritance that you would have from your father, and I want you to leave and go to a place that I will show you. In other words, you're going to go from point A to point B, but you don't exactly know where point B is yet. You just need to follow, and I will give you an inheritance that's far greater than anything you could ever imagine. Now, there was nothing really special about Abraham that God would choose him, except for maybe the fact that when God said go, he went. That when God promised him that he would have this inheritance and that he would provide for him sometime in the future, we don't exactly know when, he just simply believed him. And so... For whatever reason, God chose to make a promise to him, a covenant, but as we talked about before, a covenant is like this irrevocable contract, basically saying, if I don't make you into a great nation, if I don't um, turn you into somebody whose family will be a blessing to the entire world, if I don't prosper you, if I don't give you a future home, not only in this life, but in the next, if I don't deliver on those promises, then as far as I'm concerned, I cease to be God. That's a powerful promise, right? And so you think, wow, Abraham must have been this really amazing guy. You know, this strong and courageous leader. But the truth is he wasn't. He was kind of weird, actually. I mean, in fact, he was 75 years old and his wife Sarah was 65 years old and they traveled to Egypt and before they went in, Abraham says, look, he says to his wife, he says, look, we're going to go into Egypt. And when we go there, they're all, all these Egyptians, they're going to think that you're really hot, right? Because, you know, you're 65, but she kind of had like that Sophia Loren, you know, timeless, ageless beauty thing. And so you're going to go there and they're going to see you and they're going to kill me and they're going to give you to Pharaoh as one of his wives. So what you need to do is say that you're my sister and not my wife. And so they go into Egypt, and sure enough, all the Egyptians go, man, she's really hot. And so they grab her, and they make her a wife of Pharaoh. So here she is, and you know, she's on Real Housewives of Pharaoh with all of the other wives, housewives of Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh's household just starts getting plagued with all these horrible things, like this diseases and all this terrible stuff starts happening. And Pharaoh's like, what's going on? And then he kind of puts two and two together and says, you know, all this happened when Sarah showed up. And then he realized even more what had happened, that Abraham had lied to him. And it's this really bizarre thing where he basically tells Abraham, look, I don't want your wife. Why didn't you just say she was your wife, man? Why did you say she was your sister? You brought all this terrible stuff on me from your God who's punished me. And he literally says like, here, this is your wife. Take her and go. Just get out of here. And so that's what he does. Now listen, if the king of Egypt has a stronger moral compass than you, it's maybe time for some self-reflection, you know? <laughs> Which he doesn't do, because then several chapters later, the whole thing happens again with another king. And this poor guy, he doesn't know. He's just doing what kings do. And so God basically wakes him up out of a dream, kind of like the storm last night, and says, touch her and you're dead. 
And he goes, well, what? I'm sorry, I didn't know. He said that she was his sister. And God's like, I know, I know you didn't know. My servant Abraham is an idiot, okay? Even so, just give her back or die. He's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. So he gives her back. Like, you just like, what are you, why are you doing this to me? And so like, it's in the midst of all this kind of Jerry Springer stuff that goes on that there's this promise that God has made that he intends to keep. And the strength of the promise is not based on Abraham's ability to do everything right, thankfully, but based on God's faithfulness and goodness to him. Because that's what God does. This is the type of agreement that they have. But the bigger problem that Abraham has, other than just kind of weird behavior like that, is that God promised that he'd be the father of a great nation, but now he's 85 years old, and Sarah is 75, and they still have no kids. So now it's Sarah's turn to come up with not so great of an idea, because when you hear a promise of God and it isn't happening, then you start to take matters into your own hands. And Sarah did what you do when you basically want to save yourself. When you believe God, but you think you have to do all these things to earn what he said he would always already do for you. Huge thing, right? I'm going to do this for you. Okay, instead of resting in that and drawing peace from that, she says, no, we got to do this ourselves. So she comes to Abraham and she says, look, obviously I'm too old to have a baby, so here's my really young servant girl, Hagar. Why don't you sleep with her, and then you'll get your child. And you can imagine Abraham at first, he's like, oh, I can't do that. I could never do that. Well, I mean, I don't know. If you insist, right? I mean, it's your idea. And after all, I mean, we do kind of need a child. I guess it's for a good cause, right? So this is what, again, we're not talking about like this moral giant here right? A strong leader. So he's like, I don't know, it's her idea. So he goes and he sleeps with Hagar and she becomes pregnant, right? And so God's up there going, hey, look, that's not how I said it was going to go. You tried to hack my plan and that was a bad move. That's not the promise that I made. The promise is I provide and you believe. You don't take matters into your own hands and try to, in essence, save yourself by, by jerry-rigging this promise. And so Hagar gives birth, and now the thing is, now she's starting to give Sarah the eye, right? Because now she's the one with the jogging stroller and the yoga pants and the suburban, and she's in the carpool thing with all the other moms, right? And meanwhile, Sarah's back at the house drinking Insure and going to water aerobics and watching The Price is Right. <laughs> Some of you are going, hey, wait a second. <laughs> right? I'm only illustrating the difference here. I'm just bringing the conflict out into light, okay? This is why polygamy in general is a bad idea. Okay, you don't want to do this. So this is a, you got a serious conflict brewing right underneath Abraham's nose. And yet through it all, there's still a promise that God has made despite their jumping the gun and the resulting dysfunctionality. And he is still going to keep his promise. 15 years later now, Abraham's 100 and Sarah is 90. And God tells Sarah, hey, Sarah, get the extra room ready because you're going to have a baby. 
And when she hears this, she laughs like, ha, 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 that's so funny. But it's true. And so she actually has a baby. It's to everyone's surprise, shockingly, they have this son who they named Isaac. And Isaac is now the son, not of presumption, not of human effort, not of human wisdom and cunning and trying to save yourself, but he now becomes the child of promise. Not presumption, but promise. He is the one who born out of God's grace and provision. He is in essence, a miracle child. Now, why do I give you all of this background? Because in Galatians 4, the part that we were just reading, Paul is going to draw an analogy between these two women, Hagar and Sarah. And he says one of them is a slave woman and one of them is a free woman. And Ishmael, who is the son of the slave woman, is a child born out of human effort and work and out of human reason and an attempt to no longer believe God but think you can save yourself, where Isaac is the child of promise, the one born to Sarah, the one born out of sheer grace and God's faithfulness. And so the child of Sarah is the one born when you think that all is lost. He is the one that shows up when there's no other options and God himself has to be the one that provides. And that is very significant. And that's why he says in verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So the question then is, which one is your mama? I was actually gonna call the sermon, who's your mama? I thought that would have been creative, but I, di I didn't think of it until after we had to print our little bulletins, but it doesn't really matter because he kind of gives it away anyway by saying, in essence, Hagar is not your mama and that should fire you up. And so he goes on to say this in verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, meaning he's going to draw an example out of history. He's not saying this literally is the way that it is, but here's an example from history. So those of you Jewish people who know the law and know your history, you, you, need, you would know the story. I'm going to tell you, those of you guys that are trying to lay all these extra burdens on people in the church, telling them they're bad Christians that they don't do this and do this and do this and do this, let me tell you how this goes. He says this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So what happened on Mount Sinai? It was the Ten Commandments, right? Moses comes down. I always think of the movie History of the World Part Two when Moses comes down and he's got the three tablets and he goes, the 15, and then one of them shatters, the Ten Commandments. That always makes me laugh. Um, but I always think of that when I hear about Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. But all that to say is that's the beginning of the law, right? So the, all of the rules and regulations begin there at Mount Sinai. And so he says, Hagar represents that. And she corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. Whoa. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Now, again, a little complicated, but to help you understand this, I have not made another drawing, not today, because I like to keep my artwork few and far between, so it's appreciated. Um, <laughs> but I did make an illustration to help us understand. Now, I, we don't have any pictures of Hagar, because none of them exist, but I do have a picture of Sammy Hagar. So this is Sammy Hagar. <laughs> 
Sammy Hagar represents Hagar, who represents Mount Sinai and present-day Jerusalem, right? So he's saying, look, she represents the law of Sinai, the current Jerusalem, which is the current city, where all of the, it's the capital of Judaism, where all these Pharisees and legalistic people live, and they enslave everyone with all of their rules and regulations, and basically, you are made right with God by your works, And that's the thinking. Forget God's grace. It's all about how good you are and how much you toe the line. So he's going, you guys that are Jewish, you think that you're you're in you're in with with Sarah, but you're actually with Hagar. Okay? And so this would have been very, very angering to them because they're very proud of the fact they were in line of Sarah, right? Well, we are the the children of Isaac and you know Sarah and Abraham and all that kind of stuff. And to be told, no, you're actually in the other line. That would have been very, very angering to them because that would have been like, wait a second, you're totally uh, misrepresenting our lineage. He goes, no, I'm not because this woman was born, the, whole, or the child of Hagar, the only reason that he was ever born was because it was an act of works circumventing God's promise and God's grace. And you guys are doing the exact same thing. So as far as I'm concerned, you're children of Hagar, which would have been very, very insulting for them because you're keeping people in slavery. Now, on the other side, since we have no photos of Sarah, I thought, well, who do we know that's really old and it would be absolutely crazy if she had a baby? Well, I came up with Betty White. (laughs) Betty White represents Sarah. Because if Betty White had a baby, you'd go, that's a miracle child. I'm just saying. She represents the law of heaven. The Jerusalem from above, or the new Jerusalem, the place of grace, and is the woman of freedom and promise. So she represents God showing up when human effort is impossible to, make the, to get the job done. God showing up when you're at the end of your rope, when there's nothing left, but God's grace is the one, the thing that makes it happen. And so he's basically saying, look, one of them is not your mama, and one of them is your mama. So there you go. It's pretty simple, right? So he's like, okay, fine. So Sarah, Betty White is your mother. And so then why should it fire you up that Hagar is not your mama? Well, let me give you two reasons. Number one, because God loves rescuing people in impossible situations. God loves, and this is thematic all throughout scripture. And to think anything else is just to be really ignorant of what the Bible actually says. All throughout scripture is story after story after story of human effort and everybody in the common thinking of the day thinking that things are going to go one way, but they actually go the other way. And that God rescues people who are in impossible situations. And so in the next verse in Galatians, he's going to quote the prophet Isaiah. And the reason he does that is because the prophet Isaiah was speaking to the Jewish people um, earlier on during a time when they were held in captivity. They had been conquered and they had lost their freedom. They had lost their autonomy. They had lost many aspects of their culture and they could not see a way forward. They thought that God's promise to them was all but lost and they were up against the ropes with no one to turn to and nothing to do. They were humiliated as a people. And it's in the midst of that that the prophet Isaiah shows up and says this to them. And Paul is repeating it. He says, for it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. 
Now, if you were in that culture during that time and you were reading that, you're going, I don't see it. Come on, yeah, right. This is not happening because I don't see any way forward. But see, he does, and he did it with Sarah. Because as much as you want to beat up on Sarah, it would be kind of a sad thing to be, you know, that old in that culture and to think, you know, I haven't been able to do my job. I haven't been able to do what, what I'm supposed to do. And you're waiting on God's provision. But God loves rescuing people in impossible situations. He loves showing up with mercy and giving mercy to those who don't have it all together. And that's the kind of people that you and I need to, under, to, we need to show this to other people. We need to become the kind of people who show mercy to other people rather than always looking down our nose and going, you need to toe the line or you're not a real Christian. I didn't tell this story for a while because at first I was embarrassed and then I kind of forgot about it. But about a year and a half ago, I was with my family and we were leaving, it was at night, and we were coming from an event that we had at our kids' school. And we were going over to go home, and on the way home, I thought, well, let's stop by Freddy's over here on Litchfield, and we'll get the kids some ice cream. Now, it's hot outside and everything else, and it was late, and I just want to get home, and I have to wake up early the next day. So we got the kids some ice cream, and then we're going to go get some gas, you know, right next door there, um, and, and then we'll go home, right? So I, we get to the gas station, because I was really low on gas, and you, you turn the car off, and of course it's hot, and I got ice cream in the car, and the ice cream is going to melt and get all over the seats and everything else. So I'm like, I got to do this quick. So I'm kind of stressed, right? So I get out of the car and I go over to the gas pump and I put the card in and I hit the little button and it says invalid pin, you know, try again. And I'm like, it's not an invalid pin. I know my pin, right? So I hit it again, hit it again, hit it again, hit it again. Finally, it says invalid, please see cashier. Well, I don't want to see the cashier, right? Because you have to walk all the way over there and go in there. And then you have to wait for the guy that's buying like 12 monster drinks or in a pack of cigarettes. It's like, I don't want to do that. I want to get gas and get out of here. So I hit the cancel button, right? And then, of course, the cancel, it doesn't, it's like thinking to do anything. So I hit cancel, 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 all right? Now, here's the thing. Like, like, you guys go, man, this guy waves his arms a lot. You should see me when I get mad. <laughs> so I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, okay, it's fine. So I, I turned around and Jude rolls, rolls, my wife rolls down the window. I said, need the other card. So she gives me the other card. Now, both our cards are blue, by the way, which I think may have been part of the problem, but it doesn't matter. So I, I put the other card in, and I hit the button really fast, and it says invalid. You know, invalid pin and invalid pin or whatever. wouldn't take it any other way, and I was his hitting the button, and then invalid, invalid, invalid. Please see cashier, right? And I'm like, I don't want to see the cashier. It's hot, and I'm tired, and the ice cream's melting in the car, and I hate this gas station. So I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't care. So I hit cancel, and it's just not doing anything. So I hit cancel. I'm like, cancel, 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 cancel. And I'm just like, mm, I, I, I hate this guy. So, so, so like, I'm totally, now I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I have banned this gas station. I will never, I'd rather push my car home than get any gas from this place. I hate this place. The ice cream's getting all over the seats. I'm tired. It's hot. This gas station is a wreck. You know, no one in my family from generations is ever going to go to this gas station. And this is what I'm thinking, right, as I'm getting so angry. So I come around the front, you know, and I get in the car, and I'm like, I'm getting out of here. Right as I'm about to leave, this woman starts coming up to my, to my window, right? And I'm like, oh, God. 
gosh. You know what? Look, they told me I have an invalid pin to see the cashier. The ice cream's melting. It's hot. It's late. I'm sick of this. And now I got a panhandler asking me for money. I'm, ugh. So I roll the window down, okay? She comes up to the window and she says, excuse me, Pastor Tim? We were over here getting gas. We go to your church. We couldn't help but notice it looked like you were having a little trouble. <laughs> Here's $20 so you can buy yourself some gas. <sighs> and my kids are like, oh, dad just got murked. And my wife's like, I don't know what murked means, but dad just got murked. <laughs> First of all, in the midst of my, my mental lack of clarity, I don't remember who it was that came to the window. So if you are in this service, thank you, by the way. I never said thank you. I didn't take the money. I was very, I was like, no, actually, I'm good. I, you know, we just had a card mess up, but I'm, I'm fine. I got plenty of gas. Thank you very much. And I was, you know, wanted to go bury myself in a hole after that. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This woman saw me <laughs> hitting the cancel, 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 and flailing my arms. And she could have been like, yeah, that's Pastor Tim. That's Pastor Tim. He's supposed to have it all together. He shouldn't be doing, he should be laying hands on the gas pump. <laughs> he should pray for the gas station. He should be exhibiting a calm and mature demeanor in front of his wife and children who are watching him and all the other spectators who might be that's not very pastorly. She could have done that. She could have, she would have been right that it was not very pastorly. Okay, but what does she do? She sees a guy who doesn't have it all together and she decides to show mercy. That's Pastor Tim. It's a little sad. <laughs> but he looks like he's having a bad day. Let me give him some mercy. The only person. Show me mercy. And she didn't have to. And Paul's like, you guys are not doing that. You're looking at people that are struggling and you're yanking more, you know, you're, you're, pulling, you're just pulling this. You're like, you gotta do more, you gotta do more. And you're throwing more weight on them and you're, and you're pulling them from this way to the next and you're, you're laying all of these heavy burdens. That's why when it says celebrate seasons, days, and years, some of you guys, it says you're starting to celebrate seasons, days, and years. They're going to follow the Jewish calendar because these people are coming in and going, unless you celebrate this Jewish holiday and this and this and this, you're not right with God. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't even, I don't know anything about that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a non-Jewish person that came into church and I don't, I don't worship Zeus or, you know, Aphrodite and any other goddesses, but now I got to learn all this stuff where I'm, I'm not right with God. And he's like, what are you doing? This is a church for people who don't have it all together. 
You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, to the Pharisees, he says, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Why? Because they were the ones that knew they were broken. They're like, I, could, I can't help myself. I can't save myself. Only you can do that, God. God's going, that's it, that's it, that's it. You guys, on the other hand, are like, I don't need God. I'm good on my own. I know enough. I'm better than all the rest of these horrible people. Do you realize that if Jesus were to say that today, he would say it differently. He wouldn't say tax collectors and prostitutes. He would probably say the transgendered people or the Republicans or the Democrats or the socialists or the Hollywood elite are getting into heaven ahead of you. You'd be like, what? Pick, or whatever, pick the group that you think is ruining the world because everyone has one these days, right? Everyone has one group that's ruining the world. So we're an equal opportunity offender here at Compass Church. So you pick the group that you think is furthest from God. And imagine Jesus saying, those people are getting in heaven ahead of, in heaven ahead of you. Because God loves to rescue people in impossible situations. And that's what he's trying to say here. Stop laying requirements on top of people and sucking the life out of them and removing the love of God from them. You're acting like the child of Hagar out of slavery as opposed to relying and resting and finding peace in the promise of the grace of God that's not dependent upon your works but upon his love for you. You are redeemed and forgiven child of God. Rest in that. So that leads me to the second reason you should be happy that Hagar is not your mama, and that is you are a child of promise. So verse 28 says, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. That's what he just said. That was the point that we just made. You're children of promise. But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. See, what happened in Abraham's dysfunctional family was as, as Ishmael began to grow up and, the, and things continued on, Hagar and Ishmael, according to the scripture, began to kind of give Sarah and Isaac a hard time. There was all this rivalry and so finally, what happened was Abraham sent her away, and God provided for her. And by the way, she's not the villain in this story. She was the victim of a lot of stupid decisions by Abraham and Sarah. So she's not the villain, but, but for the purposes of the story, she was the one who had a child born out of a thought, again, of circumventing God's promise. And the point he's trying to make is the, the children of slavery always persecute the children of freedom. When, 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 here's what he's trying to say. You see, it's far more difficult in my mind to be persecuted or um, to receive criticism from the legalistic person than it is the person who has no real morals. So for example, like a lot of people, if you're a Christian, you know, you might get teased or whatever by people that say, oh, you know, you're this goody, goody person. And it's really not that difficult to take. You know, like I'm at the gym, you know, and they give me a hard time once in a while. And it's all in good fun. But you know, like the other day I was there and there was this one person who was dropping um, a fair amount of F-bombs. And there's usually F-bombs that are dropped there a lot anyway, but this one was dropping a particularly long amount of F-bombs. And finally, the coach was like, uh, hey, Pastor Tim's in the house. Why don't you watch yourself? 
which always makes me feel kind of weird, you know, because I'm like, I'm not 12, you know. Like, I know I'm a pastor, but it's like, oh, my virgin years, you know. Um, so I don't know what to do. Like, I make some joke like, well, hey, you're lucky I'm not a priest because I make you do a bunch of Hail Marys. Ha, 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 ha. And they're all laughing. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, I don't even know if that's funny. It's just, <laughs> I just feel weird. Just let me, you know, I'm just trying to get through this workout and whatever. But, you know, and it's that. It's just sexual innuendos and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I don't want to say that in front of Tim. It's like, oh, you know. But so I can handle that. And that's not the issue. What's harder is when you got someone in your own camp who's making you feel terrible because you're somehow diminishing the glory of God by exercising your own freedom in Christ. And he's saying guard against that because he's saying just as the slave woman was cast out, again, allegorically, he's basically saying, church, cast out, get rid of the, the, the so-called Christian who's trying to tell you that it's not just about grace, that, that you got to start doing all these things in order to earn God's love. That's going to suck the life out of the church or this legalistic person who looks down their nose at you. And we have these kinds of things that happen all the time. And so for years as a senior pastor, I've dealt with that in different ways. And I don't know, I mean, it's kind of a lame example, but I remember several years ago with this family leave our church in a huff because I, I gave an illustration about how I took my son to see the, the Harry Potter movie and, and how I thought it was a really awesome movie because it actually, it actually parallels the story of the gospel. I mean, it required basically a savior to die and give himself so other people could live. I'm like, man, if you want to write a great story, just, do take a, just write the gospel in a different kind of setting and it really captures people because deep down inside, we know this is what we need. And that's why I think it was so magnetic for people. But you'd have thought I just said, you know, you know, I, I just said, let's worship Satan. I mean, I can't believe that you would take your son to Harry Potter. Don't you see what Harry Potter's doing? It's ruining 2000 years of Christianity. It's going to take the whole thing down. And I'm like, I don't see that. But they left in a half were mad and they probably felt so good about themselves because we don't do that around here. You know, or like when I planted my church back in Mesa and we were a lot smaller than this church. And so you kind of like, there's bigger, you know, you can be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. And so we'd have these people that would come and they would love the fact that we preached the Bible, but they didn't like the unsavory characters that we were reaching because we were reaching some unsavory people, you know, and they're like, well, you know, we appreciate your commitment to the word pastor, but you know, there's some people and we just, we feel really uncomfortable about them around our kids and stuff. And like, this is a church. Like, what are we supposed to be doing here? This isn't a club for like people that are, who think they're mature in Christ, but really don't understand the first thing about the purpose of church and Christianity anyway, which is to reach lost people. And when I say lost people, I mean people who feel like they're far from God. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. And when you come to this campus, that's what you should be, in your mind, you should be saying, look, I, I, this isn't for me. I mean, I'm going to get here, I want to hear worship, I want to worship Jesus, but I, I'm, looking, I'm looking for how I can, I, can, I can actually be a part of the mission here of helping people who think that God doesn't care about them and that, God doesn't, that they think they're not good enough for God to say it's not about you being good, good enough for God. Of course you're an unsavory character. Of course you got sin. That's why Jesus died. I was an unsavory person. I'm sure glad they didn't get rid of me. My dad sent me some pictures. He's going through some of our old photos. And uh, he sent this one to me. This is my baptism. <laughs> Back in 1989, I'm the one on the left. <laughs> in 
It's helpful to know that that was, picture was taken about a year after my arrest by the Los Angeles Police Department. And about six months before what I'll call the great police helicopter searchlight event. Let's just say those are very bright when they shine on you. Um, I learned that firsthand. So I was not sanctified yet. I had some issues. The guy next to me, Steve Noel, he knew I had issues as a punk kid. I mean, look at that picture. I look like a serial killer. <laughs> I mean, Steve's got his arm around me. He's talking about me and my faith, as small as it was. I was raised in a great Christian home, but when you're that age, you need other people sometimes too to help you. You got to say stuff that you don't always want to say around your parents. You got to deal with stuff you don't, you, you, you don't, you feel weird talking to your parents about. I don't know where I'd be without that guy. We need more Steve Noels in this church. And his wife, Jackie. To be in the baptistry with their arm around a high school student. This is an unsavory human being with problems and exactly the person God wants to reach and exactly the reason we have this church. Some of you need to be like him or the guy next to him wouldn't be here. This is the kind of church we are because we're guided by the scripture it says we aren't children of slavery, but we're children of promise, and we're children of people who are 90 years old and up against the ropes and say, I got nothing to offer God, but okay, if you'll take me. I want to hear stories of redemption at this church. When you come here, you better be looking for someone who feels like they don't fit. Don't just come in here and sit down. Don't just come in here and sit and wait for the show to start. Mm-mm, that ain't your job. Come and look for someone who looks maybe like they're a little bit out of place. And remember what you felt like when you were out of place. And go up and say, hey, how's it going? I didn't say this in the other services, but as long as we don't have a service after this one. Just kidding. We had a guy... On our, who came and led us through a strategic planning process. And he attended our church on Sunday morning. He said, I love your church. You have a great church. And I went and sat in the back. And he goes, you guys, have, I loved your, your service and it seemed like a really upbeat place. I was greeted once. So we gotta fix that. He wasn't a scary looking dude either. We gotta fix that. Because we're children of promise who need to radiate joy and freedom. We've got to fix that. Pastor Simeon, the only one walking around here before service saying hi to people. Sarah wasn't the only woman God used to keep his promise. 
God loves using women, by the way, because throughout history, women haven't been seen as very powerful, even though they are. There's another woman who's much younger than Sarah, lived in a far-off town, kind of like Tonopah. No offense. Whatever. Out there in the middle of nowhere. And God looked at her and said, you, you are the one that I want to bear who will be the savior of the world. And everyone will be shocked that from your town and from your womb will come the one who is the savior. Why? Because God loves rescuing people in impossible situations. And God loves doing miracles for people who think that they've got no other hope. That's what this place is about. And today, if you're up against the ropes and you're far from God, you got to unlearn all that crud that was taught to you in that church you grew up in that made you feel like you were never toeing the line and realize that none of that stuff was what the Bible was trying to tell you. God's been pursuing you since day one, baby. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're here today and you would like to receive the grace of God, and you say, look, if this, is the, if this is the God that the Bible presents, then I want to follow him. I don't want to follow a God who I always feel like I'm never measuring up, but I'll follow a God of grace and of promise who rescues people up against the ropes because I got nothing to offer God except a broken life except a history of mistakes and regrets. If that's you today, just cry out to him right where you're sitting, just in your heart. God, I need you. And just like Abraham, didn't know where he was headed, but he said, I believe, I believe I believe that you did this. I believe that you sent your son to die for my sins, to separate me permanently from my shame and my regret and my guilt. I believe that you love me enough to do that. I believe. I believe that that shed blood is for me. And I will not be perfect but I will follow. I may be trailing behind, but I will follow because you're all I've got. Thank you for rescuing me in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.